And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Okay, James, it is a hugely special edition of the podcast, not only because we are previewing the playoffs, but we are doing it with one of our very favorite people, a rising star in our industry. It's Frankie Corrado. Hi, Frankie. That's very nice. That's one of the best introductions I think I've ever had. Thank you very much. It's true. It's absolutely true. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. Uh, Well, so we have lots to discuss, obviously, about this series that's coming up, the Leafs and the Lightning it's a big surprise that we're getting this matchup. I know you're on pins and needles just anticipating it. Uh, I thought we could start by kind of looking like zoom out and just kind of looking at the stakes of, of this series. Um, you've obviously spent a long time, had a long playing career. Do you think players have that pressure on their shoulders knowing just, you know, obviously this current era of playoff failure, it's obviously been a while for the franchise or do you think that stuff is all just kind of shut off maybe yeah as as much as you might think that players can shut it off and forget about it there's always that one guy in a room who maybe you're hanging out having dinner you're having a couple drinks uh, on on a day off or something like that and someone will turn to someone and say and we better get this going here like we got to get this together because Hmm. if we don't there's going to be some big changes um, and I almost experienced that like really early on in my career when I was with Vancouver. Um, you know, everyone kind of knew what was going on there. There was a team that was close to winning and trying to hang on. And um, it became almost like the end of the road for that core group there. And I, I just remember being out with the guys one night and someone made a comment about like, man, if we don't kind of do something here, there's going to be some changes. And players don't like change. Like they don't want to have to change routines, change coaches, change GMs, unless you're in a situation that sucks. But let's be honest, all these players here in Toronto have a pretty good situation. The GM has doubled down on them multiple times. It says how much he believes in them. And um, even for a coach like Sheldon Keith, like it's a good coach to play for. Like as much as, you know, he's, he's 
can run hot and and we see him kind of huffing and puffing behind the bench. He's a really good communicator with his players. You kind of know exactly where you stand. Um, so w- with all that being said, um, that needs to go into, I guess, the thought process behind this team and how they're going to do in the playoffs, how they're going to compete in the playoffs. It's like, how badly do you not want to have any change? Like, how badly do you not want to be sitting here in September or October with a, a maybe a new GM, maybe a new head coach. And it's like, where's the where's the direction go from there? All of a sudden, things that you liked in the organization might be changing, might be different. Um, like, I don't know. I, I think it, it definitely has some kind of bearing on things. Um, but at the end of the day, when you go out and play hockey, you're not really thinking about, about that on the ice. That's more just, you know, off-ice topics of, of discussion that maybe you have with, with your your peers, your teammates about the team. I know a lot of people look at the regular season this year for this team and just say, who cares? Like, it doesn't matter. Were there things that you saw over the 82 games that that say to you that maybe this Leafs team's different or things that that stood out kind of in the evolution of of the roster and the franchise? Yeah, for sure. And I don't know if maybe we have like PTSD as as like Leafs fans or or people who watch the Leafs, but it, it felt like that deflating moment throughout a game or throughout a season was fewer and further between this year than in years past. Like I'll just I'll just give you a random example. It's it's a close game, leaps are winning, it's 3-2, other team gets a 3 on 2 rush and in the past you're watching this rush happen and you're like, "Oh man, I've seen this before." Hmm. Like the guy's going to kick the puck out wide, he's going to go under the bar, it's going to be a tie game, going to find a way to lose this game and it's like the most chintzy way of losing and we saw a little bit less of that. And I kind of attribute that a little to the Leafs being okay with playing that boring kind of game. Like it didn't have to be that high event game where it really grabs your attention. They were okay with playing a game where if you were a viewer sitting at home on a couch, you're like, oh, like there's not much going on here. But at the end of it, you, you sit there and you're like, okay, the Leafs won. They scored an empty net goal and it was tidy, neat, efficient piece of business. Um, the one game that sticks out in that, that regard was the game against Nashville at home uh, would have been back in January. And then the next night they were going to Detroit to play on the road. And that game against Nashville, like I'm sitting with the tap man upstairs. We're <laughs> doing the game. We're like, man, there is nothing like nothing going on in this game. And then I believe it was Willie who scored a goal late in the game to win it in like the last, I don't know, two minutes or last minute and a half. And it was, it was a good, like it was a good reminder that you can win a game in minute 58. Like you don't have to come out and do everything in the first two periods and win the game there and then still play this kind of like run and gun style game. They don't like they just don't play that kind of game anymore. So I think there is something that says there's a little more maturity with this team and, and they can handle the ups and downs a little bit more. And, you know, in the past where maybe they've broken um, under pressure, it seemed like this year there was there was just a little more of that bend but don't break mentality and they did a pretty good job with it. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Frankie. Like, you remember how much of like uh, an emotional roller coaster it felt like game to game, month to month. And obviously, they didn't get off to a great start. But then you think about the season, like, this ends up being a tie. I think, no, actually, I think it's the second best regular season in franchise history after last season. And then you, you think about it, it's like, well, Matthews had an okay year. Um, Neander had like a pretty good year. Marner had a pretty good year. But like, the goaltending, like, Matt Murray played 26 games. Like, the fact that they, Morgan Riley didn't have a great year. Like you go through it and you're like, they had the second greatest season in franchise history. And it's like, it just kind of was steady 
but do you think yeah. that actually w- can correlate to the playoffs or is it like a totally different animal, especially given the opponent? We, we love making things out of these matchups, right? Like Matthews versus McDavid or Matthews versus Pasternak. We love those kinds of things. But ultimately, like if you're in a locker room, you know how much it is a team sport and your best players have to be your best players every single night, the cliche, whatever you want to call it. And it is true. Mm-hmm. Um, but w- we see it year after year, like you're only as good as your help. And you can use that on a micro level. You can use it on a macro level. Like for me on, on a micro level, you're only as good as your help or your support is... If I'm in a one-on-one battle and I'm, you know, trying to lift the stick and trying to get the puck, who's going to be the 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 third player in that battle? Is it going to be my player? Is it going to be the other team's player? Because if it's my player, I know we're coming out with that puck. If it's the other teams, they're probably coming out with that puck. And on a macro level, it's like, all right, you know, you have your your top players who need to lead the way, but if you have a little more help underneath them, guys who can maybe uh, pitch in offensively a little bit more, and I'm looking at a guy like Cali Arncroft. Right, who scores 20 goals this year. I wasn't expecting him to score 20 goals. I thought he's a good third-line player who can play with some energy. If he got you 15, like if he got you 12 to 15, you probably wouldn't turn your nose up at that. You'd be like, okay, that sounds like that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, but you get more contribution there, and and then you bring in a guy like O'Reilly, and um, you just see like there's there's a little more underneath. And like I kind of went through this exercise uh, yesterday or two days ago with with Al's brother. And we were looking at game seven lineup last year versus the lineup they're going to go into the playoffs with this year. It's night and day. Like it's so much better this year where last year it seemed like it was just patchwork. Like there was, there was Mikheyev, Kerfoot and Tavares playing on a second line um, and a third line with camp and Nylander. Like it just, it, it was just patched up. It was just, they were trying to get through and hopefully the, the big boys could lead the way. Well, now the big boys can lead the way and they can, probably be propped up by some players lower in the lineup who can do some things and and win you a ship um i I think that's the thing that kind of sticks out about like the fourth line right now like if it's going to be lafferty camp and aston reese like that's a line where sheldon keith will be looking down the bench and maybe it's been a back and forth game maybe the leafs haven't had a ton of momentum and he'll look at that line and say i need a shift here like i need you guys to go win win a shift and that's a line that's capable of doing it. And that takes a little bit of the pressure off Matthews because now he doesn't need to go win a shift. He can benefit off the fact that those guys just played in the offensive zone for maybe 20, 30 seconds. Maybe they caught one of the, you know, one of the good defensemen for Tampa out there. And him and Marner can can catch Tampa, you know, when when maybe they're they've lost a little momentum in the game. So they're just those the the, the top players are better set up now for success than they ever have been. I'm curious. I think one of the bigger, I don't maybe re, I don't know if revelations is the right word, but one of the biggest positives I would say from the second half of the season is, has been the play of Jake McCabe and just what he's brought since they brought him over in the trade. Obviously, you played that position. I think some of what ma- makes McCabe so good is is very subtle. But given you played in the league and you, you obviously played the same position, like w- what is it that Jake McCabe does so well that makes him effective? Yeah, so I actually played against him. I don't know if we're the same age. He might be a year younger, but I played against him in the minors, and I played against him when he was in Buffalo. And he was a guy I always noticed. The first thing I noticed is he's just like a calm skater. Like, there, there just never seemed to be any panic in his game. And quite honestly, I was a little, like, jealous of that, like, watching him play back in the day because, you know, I, w- I would try to get myself, um, you know, 
get a breakout going and I'm working really hard. I'm doing a tight turn. I'm like, you know, trying to do everything I can. And I look down the ice. I'm like, this guy just popped it to the middle. It looked very effortless, very easy. And you see that when he skates the puck up the ice, I, I think he does a really nice job of being that, um, like that fourth player into the rush, kind of helping out the forwards, jumping in a little bit. Um, so he picks his spots well that way. Um, but the thing that's st- sticking out a little bit more is, is, is there's almost like this fearless mentality to where he's okay with blocking a shot 12, 15 feet away with his foot, um, going down on one knee. Like it, it's almost like he has that warrior fearless mentality that this team has needed in, in the past. And um, it's not an easy job. Like, it's not easy to sit there and say, man, Kucherov's going to tee off on a one-timer here and I'm going to have to eat this and I'm not exactly sure where it's going to go. Uh, but it seems like he has no problem doing that. It, he's he's exceeded my expectations coming in. Like, I, I thought he was going to be a nice player. I thought he was going to be a steady player. I'm not sure if I was expecting him to have this much of an impact. Um, and I kind of think about the Brody-Muzzin pairing, okay, the way it was in previous um, iterations of the team. Jake Muzzin at his best, like when he's healthy in his prime, like really, really good player, like really good, efficient puck mover, beast of a guy can play with an edge, all that kind of stuff. The unfortunate part for Muzzin was that when it came crunch time in the playoffs last year, his body had been through so much. He almost had to pick and choose what he could get into, what he couldn't get into. So, you know, if he was going to be a physical presence on a shift, like that's that's kind of all he had, or he had to, to block a shot. It's like McCabe, he's he's healthy, he's younger, he can do all that. Maybe not to the same degree as Muzzin in his prime or when he's his best, but pretty damn close. Um, and like the Leafs are going to benefit off that in a big way, and and they need someone like that because Brody, for you know, he's a really good player. He munches minutes. Uh, he's a smart player. He can move the puck well. He doesn't really have that edge. Morgan Riley doesn't really have that edge. Um, Justin Hall doesn't really have that edge, although he does a good job on the penalty kill and he blocks shots and he has that element. So they just needed a guy like that. And even just something about like you look at his face sometimes, like you're when you're in competition with a guy, you kind of look over, you look him in the eyes. Some sometimes guys just have this look on their face where it's like, that guy's not bothered by any of this. Like he he just looks like he just looks like a mean guy who wants to play hockey. And if you looked at me sometimes when I played and you were my opponent, you'd be like, I'm going to jump on this guy. I am going to get all over him because <laughs> he looks like a deer in the headlights. So there's something to be said for that as well. Well, you mentioned um, your experiences. You were 19, I think, when you first played in the playoffs. I think it was your first year. Do you remember? Yeah, right like, out of junior. Right. So... So obviously you're in a, you were in a different spot than Jake McCabe is. He's never played in the playoffs. He's been around the league a long time. But could you notice like a everyone says the shift is pretty drastic between regular season and playoffs. How much of a difference was it for you? Well, so I actually was in the same situation as Matthew Nice in in a weird way. I came up from junior and I played the three games at the end of the regular season. Ah, yes. And because Vancouver had a bunch of injuries. And then it was Keith Ballard who was coming back off off injury, and Elaine Vigneault chose to keep me in the lineup. And I mean, I don't know if he should have, to be <laughs> honest with you, but he kept me in. And similar situation here with Matthew Nyes, where he's going to play. He played the last three games. Now, is he going to stay in for game one? Is he not? 
I don't know, but I can tell you my experience was this. I played three games. I think one was against Chicago, one was against maybe Anaheim, and one was against Edmonton. And the Edmonton game, we sat all our regulars, and we ended up getting pumped that game. And all those guys hit their signing bonuses. Schultz, Hall, they were jumping into the glass. It was, it was a pretty big thing back then. Uh, but then we started up against San Jose, and it was like, now Rafi Torres is running around, and he's trying to hit you every single chance he gets. And there was just a little more, um, like, you, you get onto the ice, and you see Pavelski and Jumbo and Marlowe, and the way they're moving the puck around. There was so much urgency to their game, and um, there was no free passes. Like, it did pick up a little bit. And I was a little overwhelmed. I almost had this Im imposter syndrome because we were losing the games. We ended up getting swept in that series. And it was almost like I would think to myself after the game, all right, he's got to be taking me out. Like he has to be like, he's got an NHL player who's been in the league for um, over 10 years, like ready to play. And he never took me out. I almost would have been better suited just saying, all right, whatever he's going to do, he's going to do. And that's it. And I'm obviously very happy and very, very grateful I played those games because it's a very cool experience to play in, in the NHL playoffs. But the pace definitely picked up. And for a young player, it could be like if you don't have, you know, a lot of like a, a highlight reel to kind of um, refer back to, I guess it could be a little overwhelming. There could be a little bit of an imposter syndrome. Although now I think these young guys that come in now, they don't even think about that stuff. I don't I don't think they they worry about those things and overthink i think they just go play and, and quite honestly i think a lot of them have this kind of swagger to them where they just think yeah i belong here and i'm playing and screw everyone else <laughs> well actually that brings me to nice i wanted to ask you about him i think he looked maybe better than i was expecting and yet like it's it's a handful of games at the end of the year teams aside from florida are kind of just waiting to get to the playoffs what would you do if you were sheldon keith like would you play him would you wait to see how this the series starts like go with the guys who've kind of gotten you here i, I think it really comes down to do you want to play zach aston reese or do you want to play matthew nice to start i i like progression like i like things trending in, in the right direction trending upwards and knowing what i know in the spirit the experience i went through maybe i'm starting with him actually not maybe i'd be starting with him out of the lineup to start game one yeah. and if 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 i think I can use him in the lineup at some point. I'm, I'm putting him in that way because I would rather go to him and put him in than start him in and then take him out because then it's like, now it's okay. There's like an up and down involved in that from the player's point of view. You're in, you're not in. You start wondering, okay, am I going to get back in? What did I do wrong? Like there, there's all these kinds of things that happen from the player's point of view. And even from, from Sheldon Keefe's point of view, it just keeps things a little easier in the sense that you have guys that have been here all year that have been playing. A guy like Zach Aston Reese has played really well. He can play a role for you. I like the way that fourth line fits with him. Um, so as, as much as Matthew Nice has done a nice job of asserting himself in the lineup, and he's definitely shown that he's capable of playing, just because he doesn't play game one doesn't mean he can't be in the lineup in game three. You know, like I, I like the progression of, of that, just saying, you know, we're, we're going to start with our guys. We're going to go with the veterans, but be ready because there's a very good chance we're going to need you. And that message does a lot for a player. Like if a coach is, if we're skating around on the ice before practice and a coach comes up to me with that kind of message, that means a lot more to me than I'm going to put you in for game one. We're going to see how it goes. Yeah. You might be, you might be coming out. You know, you see, you just, he just, he, he keeps me hanging on for something and, and gives me a little 
little more to cling on to there, like with the fact that I might be going in in game three. Like I better be sharp and I better be ready because I'm looking forward to that. I want that. I'm curious, Frank, like you're talking a little bit about some of the decisions that he's got to make. What's what's your perception and what's maybe the perception of Sheldon Keefe around the league? Like what, what does he bring to the table as a coach? Um, I, I really like Sheldon. I think he's a really good communicator with the players. I think he's direct. He's honest. Um, he's upfront about kind of where you stand on the team. And, and I think that's um, that goes a long way with guys. He is like he is a, a good X's and O's guy. Like if you were to sit in a video session with with Sheldon, you would learn a lot. Um, and he kind of sees the game in ways may, maybe some people don't see. Like there's, there's a lot of copycat stuff that happens. There's a lot of stuff that um, people will say like, yeah, we just want to put a bunch of shots on net. Like we need more shots. And he'll kind of say, we don't need more shots. We need better shots. How are we going to create these better shots? And then he'll actually show you on the video. Well, here's a pocket of ice we could have used here. If someone just stopped, stopped their momentum and planted themselves here, there's hmm. a very good opportunity for you to get this puck. Um, and, and there's one thing he always kind of says to like, the puck needs to get off the wall at some point. It has to get to the middle of the ice. And where the Leafs struggled with that messaging at times is when they forced things to the middle of the ice and then it was like a turnover and it was going the other way. And now they've done a better job of understanding that you still need to be patient with that. You can't just force feed things into the middle of the ice. Um, so like Sheldon, I don't know what his perception around the league would be, um, you know, as far as maybe players and teams that, that don't see the Leafs a, a ton, but uh, for the guys that, that play for Sheldon, it would be a coach that's a good communicator who's upfront, who's honest. Um, doesn't he like he doesn't play these mind games, right? Like he's not that kind of guy. He will flat out tell you your game is not good enough, and this is why A, B, and C. So that's what you need to sit with and chew on if you want to get back in the lineup. Um, which players can appreciate that more. Sometimes it's not necessarily what you want to hear, but it's what you need to hear. And some coaches will hide from that. Maybe they don't like the confrontation and maybe they think that players are going to go back at, at them. Um, he's open and honest and he's cool with that. I always share this one story when I was playing for, for Sheldon with the Marlies where I was coming off an ACL surgery and my shot from the point was such a muffin. It was so bad <laughs> and I couldn't figure it out. And it was my left knee that I had the, the surgery on. And um, he, he brought me into his office and he showed me something on the computer. He goes, okay, here's you taking a point shot. He goes, watch your left knee. I said, okay. He goes, and then he, he pulled up a couple defensemen from the NHL. I think he pulled up PK Subban, uh, someone else. He goes, watch their left knee. Exact same shot you tried to take, watch their left knee. And my left knee was basically pointing at the, the half boards, the sideboards. Their left knees were pointing at the net. Uh -huh. He goes, you don't even realize you're doing this, but you're doing this. And he goes, so... Our practice is at 11. You're going to go on at 10.30 with Pelly, the, the player development guy at the time, because you're going to work on this, and then we'll have practice. I'm like, I, I wasn't even a prospect at the time. I was like a guy at 26 years old on an American Hockey League deal. He didn't have to do any of that, but he truly cares about making his players better because he understands that the better the players are individually, the better the team is. So... That's that's my my impression that I have of Sheldon Keefe and my experience was was a positive one. That's really interesting. And that's like a level of detail, like where he's obviously been watching clips and like paying really close attention and saying, I need to fix this one little thing with Frankie. And if I can get that, then he can have progression. Head coaches don't do that stuff. 
Like yeah. that's not a, that's not something a head coach does. But when a head coach takes the time to do that, it means a lot to a player. Well, before we get you out of here, Frankie, I just I'm curious if there's one guy you're looking at for this series for the Leafs, and you're saying. I kind of think that guy could have, James likes when I use this word, a sneaky impact in this series. Like maybe, maybe it's a star, but maybe there's one guy that kind of comes to mind where you think this guy, I, I have a feeling that this guy is going to play a big role. Yeah. Like, okay. So obviously I want to see Matthews turn into that guy that we saw last year where it was, it was like his physical presence was so overwhelming for teams. That's yeah. not sneaky though. Like that's, there's nothing under the radar about that. Like Michael Bunting needs to be that guy he's he my needs guy to be yep. that sneak he needs to be an impact he needs to be that guy that you you leave the rink or you or you, you finish watching the game you're like man he was sneaky good tonight he got under their skin he made some good plays maybe he got a point or two maybe he scores a big goal like he's that guy he should be the fifth best forward well i don't know if you can say the fifth best forward now that you have ryan o'reilly but he's right there like mm-hmm. he needs to be that next tier below the the big four guys and he he can do it in, in a number of different ways, but he's a guy whose game, you know, I don't know if it's the referees not getting the calls, whatever the case may be. If he's playing to his capability, there's a guy who can have a sneaky impact. It seems almost lately like he's like questioning himself a little bit. So he's got to just kind of yeah. find his center. And- well, we're, where's that like that, that confidence, that conviction that he had yeah. um, last year? And I know he's playing on a really good line with Matthews and Marner. Uh, but when he was playing at his best, it was like you forgot about Zach Hyman because you saw Michael Bunting. And you're like, okay, it's a different kind of player, but it's a similar kind of impact because there he, he's hounding pucks. He's hard to play against. He's getting under opponent's skin. And then at the time, I was saying anyways, I'm like, Hyman's a very skilled player. Absolutely. Michael Bunting, he's just as crafty. Like he's he's a crafty player. He's he's somewhat of a playmaker. He has some finish. And he when 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 he's playing at his best. He's very well-rounded. We haven't really seen that here to finish the year, but yeah. he's that guy that can be a, a little bit of a, um, you know, he can have a sneaky impact. All right. Well, Frankie, we'll let you go. We really appreciate you taking some time. Everyone obviously watch you on TSN, on all the platforms. You're killing it, man. Like I'm not even just saying that. We James and I talk about this all the time. You're doing a great job. So keep it up and, and thanks for taking some time with us. Thanks, Frank. Thank you. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. Our thanks uh, to Frankie Corrado. He honestly, like, I wasn't just saying that. He, You know this. Uh, you believe this. He's awesome at what he does. So we thank him for for spending some time. Like, some of that stuff on, on Sheldon Keefe is just fascinating. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was the right question or not to ask. We had a, we only had a limited amount of time, but I, I actually forgot that how, how much they had interacted with each other. I was kind of thinking Me it, too. 
I was thinking, like, how how long did he play with Keith? Not very long, right? Uh, well, no, yeah, wouldn't have been that long. Um, but but actually, that that's a good way to to kind of segue into some of the stuff I wanted to talk to you about uh, before we get to the pod bag and take some questions. I think Keith is like a really interesting figure in the, in this playoff because he's had some moments in in past postseasons. Obviously, the three previous where you kind of raise an eyebrow a little bit. Like sometimes it feels like he's trying, like he's thinking about so many different things and he's Seems trying like so many different things. Panic. Yeah. Yeah. And so do you think, obviously he's now had plenty of experience. Um, do you think that's something we talk about play players and playoff experience all the time? Do you think coaches will inevitably just change with playoff experience themselves? I, I agree with everything Frank said. And I think he's a really good coach and I think the players really respect him and you know, all, all of that side of things is good. And the X's and O's are good. The one criticism I've heard from, I won't say who from, but from people around the league about him is that, that he can fall into over coaching or like overthinking yes, things the or like perfect word, James. Yeah, yeah. I like that. So, you know, like I said, the players like them, but they also know that like there's this tendency to kind of just like overcomplicate things or overthink things sometimes. And I think that with experience that does come, you know, and I, I don't know. I mean like the last, whatever, since they got all the new players and they had injuries and whatever, the lineup's been kind of all over the place, but it seems like they've settled in on what they're going to do and they're locked in and, I think I think you're going to see less kind of second guessing himself here in this in this series. Well, I I am curious, and it, and I think overcoaching is kind of the perfect word for it. Like all of a sudden, I find it really interesting that with like two weeks left in the season, they are changing their power play, which I I, I understand to some degree what they're looking at, but it's like they had the number two power play in the NHL. Why is it changing now with like weeks left in the season? What are they going to do for game one? Is it just an option? Like that's the kind of thing you think back to last year's series. Like he's he's thinking ahead and he's like, this is going to be a hell of a series. It's going to be a war. I want to have Kyle Clifford and Wayne Simmons in game one. Like that's that's like overcoaching. And I and I wonder if with the power play, like I actually like at times how it's looked with O'Reilly in in place of Neander. But that's a little bit of like, uh, like, are you just, are you over coaching? I think he wants to have multiple options with the power play because it's let them down in big games so many times. Fair. So he, Good point. you know, and, and the thing too, like, I mean, O'Reilly has with the injury, hasn't even been able to play that many games. So it's not like yep. he's had a ton of opportunity to see different things with him. And it's, it's the same thing with Gustafson too. It's like, I don't know if this guy's going to dress or not, but if he does, I might as well see what he looks like with the power play just in case we need to go to that option. Yeah. I think there is obviously a lot of preparation for um, what could be. And I think one of the things that I had noticed just from Tampa last year and about John Cooper is like, he's very malleable in games. Like he changes things around a lot. Like he's always kind of moving the puzzle pieces around, especially in their top six and on D like he does a lot of different things. And I think Keith has done a really good job of kind of preparing for a lot of different situations. Like even these last couple games, like Jake McKay plays with Timothy Logan. Is that going to be a pairing in the playoffs? Probably not. But if you, if something happens and he needs to change the pieces around, at least now McCabe has played with Lilligren. I wanted to ask you your opinion on Nyes. Uh, I think Frankie, what Frankie mentioned is kind of where I'm at, that I wouldn't start him, but I now think if they were to lose game one and they struggled offensively or or whatever, that I might be inclined to put him in game two or game three. Where are you at with that decision? Yeah, it's it's tough because 
I'm not sure who you sit is is really the thing I'm wrestling with. Now, if someone is is banged up or something, then he's going to be the obvious option to come in. But I think Nyes has played really, really well. Like uh, the thing that you can see, the thing you don't know, I think, watching him play in college is like how how smart the the player is and what that's going to look like at the NHL level. But he, he thinks the game really well. Like he's just making good decisions. He's in the right places, you know, for the most part. And you combine that with the size and everything, and it's like he like he looks like an NHL player in the in the three games that we've seen. Um, I, the I guess are, the only thing, James, can I just ask you this? Like, yeah, to me, I was thinking about it, and and it kind of feels to me. I agree with you. I I don't know who you would take out. It would it would be one of Aston Reese or Lafferty, and I don't see that, especially with the way that line has kind of performed. But it doesn't feel like to me, at least at this point, that the upside is 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 more than the downside. Like the downside feels a little bit higher to me where he might make a mistake that costs you a game and that would maybe make me lean safer, but I don't know. I thought it was interesting kind of like the psychology piece of it that, that Frank is talking about where, you know, yeah, if you do it that way, like we've seen it in the past, right? Where the a young player doesn't start the series and then they come in and it's like an injection of something, right? And the, the, the player's just been there waiting and building and getting ready for it. And, the, and then when they come into the, like, it was sort of like that, this is going way back, but remember when like Andreas Janssen got inserted into that Boston series and then I was like, oh, well, like he, and he, I, I, did they do that with Gardner too? I think when he was young, like I think he did. Yeah. The, well, and, and to, and, and I think the other side of that coin, James, is, I think you risk potentially losing someone like Aston Reese if like he's played really well. He's just like a sensitive guy. All of a sudden you're like, you know what? You've played well, but we're going to play this kid in game one. And let's say it doesn't go well for, for Nyes in game one. Then you're turning back to Aston Reese, who's now like his confidence is a little bit dinged because he didn't start. I don't like that would factor into my mind as well. Like the guy I'm taking out, how is he going to respond to this? As opposed to Nyes, like you sit Nyes in games one and two or whatever, he's going to be like, yeah, of course, I get it. I'll be ready when you need me. You know, I think you just have a conversation with him and you say, you're going to play. We love the way that you've played. It's just that we're one of the best teams in the league and everyone's playing well. But, you know, first injury or, you know. Be ready. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like Frankie said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, another lineup um, curiosity I have is that sixth defenseman. Um, and I think we can lock in for now Riley, Brody, McCabe, Giordano, and Hall. And I, I think that sixth spot between Shen, Gustafson, and Lilgren is is an interesting conversation. I had thought, um, and we talked about this, that that it would be Shen initially. It still may be. But there are like moments where I'm like, uh uh, maybe maybe you want a little bit more of the puck moving and the mobility that that Logan offers. What would you do? I think for game one, I think they're going to want Shen there. Just I mean, like you saw, like what happened with Pat Maroon in the last game that they played. Yeah, like, good I, point. I, that that's going to be the like version of the Clifford Simmons thing they did last year, where I think they're going to want Shen there. I, I guess they're not going to go eleven and seven, so that would mean sitting Lilgren and, and Gustafson. So I. I I feel pretty strongly that that's what Keefe is going to do here. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think one thing that they're going to have to do is just keep his limits, his minutes limited. Like you, I was talking about right? Like, like, yeah, Shen, yeah. Shen's mostly that's been true. playing like 12 minutes a game kind of thing, right? 
Well, some of these games have just been so kind of weird with some of the lineups that like he plays 17 minutes in New York. He plays mm. 19 minutes against Montreal. But like some of these games, these lineups aren't normal. They're trying to not overplay guys. I think that's right. And I, I think if if you if he has any issues, you can easily change course. Like, I mean, that's one of the things that they wanted uh, with all the defensemen that they brought in is, is options um, to what they can do. Um I did want to ask you before we get to the pod bag, what's your level of concern, if any, that I think I'd have to check the double check this, but I think we've talked about Tavares. I think he has one five on five goal since the start of March. Does that matter to you? Do you think that O'Reilly potentially playing with him changes that? Do you think Neander kind of coming on a little bit at the end of the year? makes you feel okay or like is that a concern like what or or even if it's not Tavares is there anything that's concerning to you heading into the playoffs well do you remember last year that in the series wasn't it like the first four or five games that Tavares just really didn't yeah they were not good wasn't making a big impact on the series so that that's the reason it concerns me a little bit is because I've seen it before so yeah do you do so do you think that Tavares is going to be on the wing in this series or like what how do you think that that's going to play out I think he'll end up playing a bit of both. I, I think. Okay. I mean, we'll see by the time some people listen to this, we'll have seen what they did at practice and we'll have an indication of how they're going to start. But I would imagine we'll see O'Reilly play with him. I, I imagine we'll see O'Reilly play on the third line. I think they'll, they'll kind of move things around. But if I was doing it, I would have uh, Tavares on the wing with O'Reilly and one of Neilander and Marner. And I think probably Neilander at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I think the that's good- their best look. Yeah, the good news is that Nylander has looked a little bit better in the last couple of games. He had that kind of like long lull, but they really need that that line, whatever it looks like. They need that. They need Tavares to be make make an impact. You know, like it's it puts a lot of pressure on everybody else if he doesn't. Yeah, because like you look at the way that their lineup will be structured, regardless of whether O'Reilly's on the second or third line. Like those are the two lines that have to be your engines offensively because like Camp Fast and Reese Lafferty, like their job is not really to score. If they get you a couple goals in a series, great. But it's like really it it's gonna come down to Matthews, Marner, Neilander, and Tavares as like the guys to generate offense. And obviously bunting, Yarncroc being a, a help mm. potentially is is something. But yeah, so I uh last twenty games, one five on five goal for John Tavares. So just something to keep an eye on. I think that's going to be an interesting subplot. Uh, anything else about the series that you want to get into? Do you want to talk about Tampa a little bit? I mean, Tampa has been deeply, deeply struggling lately. I think they have like the 24th best record in the league since February 1st. So this is not like a little blip for them. It's been a long stretch. And, you know, I know talking to, I've been talking to executives with some other teams and what they're seeing and they're they they think they're vulnerable so um i don't want to overstate anything and obviously but i I, it feels like like if the leafs lose this series they're gonna they're gonna have to like they're just not if they're the best versions of themselves they should win they should be the favorite so unless there's like unless there's like a goalie meltdown or the stars kind of collapse in on themselves or something they they really just need to to play their their best game and and they're the better team this time whereas i think you go into the series last year and it's like this is superly evenly matched and this is going to be a coin flip and that's what it turned into i think now that it's a weighted coin flip and it's weighted on the leafs favor right now 
Yeah, I actually think this, unlike last year, I think they're deeper than Tampa is. I think up front and on D. Um, I think obviously Tampa's top end on D is better than the Leafs. But the one thing that I, I think is is such a big matzo ball in this series is like the goalies. Like I know Vasilevsky has had a quote down year, but his down year is basically as good as Samsonov's career year. Like his down year is still amazing and still really good. And you saw in that series last year, like you could look at the numbers in that series and say, well, Jack Campbell is better than Vasilevsky. No, like when the series like really boiled down to game six and seven, Vasilevsky was incredible and Jack Campbell was just okay. And so that's the one thing about this series that I don't know, but I think you're right. Like it feels like you go to three straight finals and it's just like at some point that catches up to you. The tank is empty. You know, that's at least that that's what other teams are saying they see in Tampa is like, it's just like you can't, it's amazing what they did. It's amazing. Like I, I didn't, I wouldn't have even thought that was possible. Like even when, the other quote unquote dynasty teams like LA and Chicago and Pittsburgh, like, you know, look at Chicago's cups. They were spread out for a reason. You know, they win in 2010, 2013, 2015. Like, you, you win three, but you got to, there's gaps there. For one, like, the level of parity is so high. It's so hard to, to, to go that distance every time. Like, it's just amazing what the Lightning have done. But yeah. I mean, no. And the other thing, too, like, they, they, they trade McDonough. You see some other guys who are older starting to really look older, like Kalorn. They do. Perry you know, looks older. The, yeah. The um, the uh, the acquisition for them at the deadline, Janot, has, has not worked out really. Well, he's hurt in, now, in, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But even when he was playing, he wasn't making a big impact. There's just, there's a lot of arrows in the Leafs' favor here. And I, people are probably going to be yelling at their listening device. But like, I really think the Leafs are the favorite here. And it's going to be... Other than the goaltending, it's going to be whether or not they screw it up here, to be honest. Well, and it's going to be like what some of what Frankie mentioned, like you need your stars to be stars. Like I think they were good in last year's series. Like I think especially as the series rolled along, I think those guys got better. Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander. But I've been waiting for us to see a series where it's just like Matthews is just like he's just the best player bar none. And like he takes over a series and you're just like, Jesus, like he just willed them to the second round. They feel like more tentative than they do during the regular season, right? Like you need, yeah. you need Marner and Matthews and Nylander to just change the series and just take it over. And I mean, they should try and win the series in six games, which I know again, sounds crazy, but like, you know, you've got home ice advantage, try and win the first two games, like really, really lean and impose your will on Tampa is what they should be doing. And they should they should swing the goaltending battle in their favor because they're controlling play. They're getting more of the high danger chances. They're we'll see. I think it's going to be a great series. I think it's going to be a long series, but that's my read on where things are at right now. Yeah, and you can feel other stuff with Tampa, like some of the buttons John Cooper has pushed. Feel like throw everything. Like you're just throwing anything you can at the wall. Like some of the the messages he send after games. Like the benching, remember when he benched Kucherov? I think it was Kucherov, Stamkos, and Point for an entire period. Like just some of that stuff feels like we're, we're running out of gas. But like there's still there's a reason they've been to three straight finals, right? Yeah. All right, James. Uh, let's take a break and then let's get into the pod bag and answer some playoff questions. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight? Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, James, it is time for some questions. Um, yeah, let's get into it. Let's let's take some questions. If, is it, unless there's anything else you want to hit before we get into questions. Well, unfortunately, some of the questions are for Frank Corrado, so we'll, we'll have to have him on again and get into that. I mean, we really wanted this to be a playoff preview show as opposed to some people have some questions about uh, Frank's career and stuff like that. So uh, apologies to the people that asked those questions. Uh, Liz has a good one. She says... <clears throat> Is Samsonov nursing an injury? Should we be concerned about his lack of playoff experience? So those are two things. What do you think about the injury side? I think that I think they really wanted to get him some rest more than it being an injury that's going to be anything that affects him in the playoffs, is my read of it. Yeah. I mean, obviously some of the circumstances with the emergency recall. I don't know. Like I'm always a little bit wary of dismissing it entirely, especially with you see him come up after some of these saves and it's just like, oh my God. He looks like he's like he's like gonna have to leave the game, and then he just he just gets over it and he stays in. It's just a little concerning, given Matt Murray isn't around at at this point, and who knows when he'll be back if he'll be back. Obviously, Joseph Wall has played well. I don't know what the, the the lack of playoff experience means. It it could mean nothing. It could mean something, right? Like he's. He has one playoff win, I think, in like eight appearances. Yeah, we're kind of um, guessing what that's. I mean. How can you know, right? He's he's it had a great something. He's had a great nothing. season. Like so, like I don't want to like run Samsonov down. Like I mean, he could come out and play really well. He could continue to just play as well as he has all year. I mean, I think if you're the Leafs players in front of him, you have a lot of confidence in him just from what he's done, what he's accomplished this year. Well, and you know, one thing he hasn't had a lot of, like he hasn't had a lot of those goals where you're just like, uh oh, that shouldn't have gone in. And that was one of the things like you saw with Frederick Anderson frequently not frequently but like it would happen where you're just like ah, that shouldn't have gone in and even with jack campbell there would be some of those moments and and jack campbell's like a decent example like he had never played in the playoffs and then he played in the playoffs and like he wasn't amazing but he wasn't like a disaster either although in certain situations probably not great i think that i think the leafs can win this series without winning the goalie battle i think that that's possible but I think that's fair. I, I just think you can't have your goalie costing you games. Like you can't have some of the goals that those that Campbell and Anderson let in. Like you can't have bad goals against Vasilevsky. I don't yeah. think. It was Anderson in the Columbus series, right? Like there were just like, yeah. yeah. Uh, Renee wants to know how do we, he, uh, he or she, uh, what do you feel are potential weaknesses in this year's lightning team? The Leafs can exploit similarly. How should the Lightning be looking to expose the Leafs' uh, defense, structure, goalie depth? 
All right. Which way do we want to go first? Weaknesses in the lightning or weaknesses in the leaves? I think we could look at weaknesses in the lightning. What comes to mind for you? I mean, the blue line, like they got like, like some of those guys that they're rolling out there. It's like, other than when it's not Hedman or Sergachev, I think there's some weaknesses you can exploit there on the back end. Yeah, you take Ryan McDonough out, like one of the best defensive defenders in the league. Like he's just not around. And remember what they would do uh, with McDonough, Hedman, and Sergachev. They would just, those guys were like basically on the ice all the time, right? Yeah. Like they would have one of them out there all the time and suddenly that's not there. That's what I Anaheim the other- did when they won the cup in 07 is it was like Boschman, Pronger, and Niedemeyer. It was kind of <laughs> yeah. like you had, instead of having a top 4D, they had a top 3 and you just rotate everyone else around them. It's incredible. And they don't have that. Like they, Ian Cole is basically now playing the Ryan McDonough part and Ian Cole's fine. Like he's pretty good. Nick Perbix, Darren Radish, Hayden Flurry, and they got Bogosian there. And, and you know, people are familiar with what Zach Bogosian brings to the table. But like it's not it's not a blue line that scares you. No, and I think the other thing I would point to is their bottom two lines I think are, are a little bit weaker than they have been. Their fourth line, it's the same kind of crew with Bellamar, Perry, Maroon. Perry and Maroon, and he, like Perry and Maroon mostly, like those guys look like age is kind of catching up at a, a certain point. Like I think Perry is going to be 38 in May, if I'm not mistaken. And you kind of feel that a little bit more, especially, and, and you converse that or counter that with the Leafs third and fourth lines are better than I think they were last year. I'll just go through the Lightning lineup just for people that haven't watched a ton of them this year. They've got Stamkos, Point, and Kucherov on the first line, like completely loaded, and that's going to be obviously what you're going to need to – I mean, we'll see if they keep that together for the series or not, but that's going to be the clear matchup focus for Toronto in the games in Toronto. Uh, Second line, Ross Colton, uh, Anthony Sorelli, and Kalorn. You know, Colton's a young guy who's, you know, he's going to be a good player in the league for a while. He's good. Yeah. Kalorn, to me, has looked like he's slowing down a lot. Third line, Hagel, who's had a good season. Uh, Nick Paul, who burned them in the series last year. And Michael Essemont. Did they get him on waivers? Or he came by San Jose, or maybe he was a... I, I think, actually, he was a trade deadline guy. But, a, you know, kind of like a... I think Essemont has been on waivers at one point this year. And then the fourth line is kind of the old tough guy brigade, Maroon, Bellamar, and uh, uh, Corey Perry. So... Without Janot in the lineup, that's what they're looking at. Well, and then, so weaknesses, if you're Tampa looking at the Leafs, I guess it kind of depends on on what lineup they dress. I, I still, I think you're right about McCabe. I still need to see it. Like, I, I still need to see how he handles that kind of responsibility in a playoff series against this kind of competition. But that's like one I've got circled. And then, like, obviously, like we talk about Shen, Tampa's power play is still awesome. Yeah, we'll see if the Leaf PK can kind of stand up to that. I like the the group of penalty killers that the Leafs have, but that power play can still move I it think around. If I'm Tampa, I like go get to the net hard and I try and like test the blue line still because while they've added McCabe and Shen, like yeah, everybody else, I feel pretty comfortable playing in the in the blue paint, right, and getting in in Samsonov's kitchen. And I I think it's probably going to be a nasty series in that way. Well, and I, I mentioned, we talked about Tavares a little bit, but you go back to last year's series, and any time the games were in Tampa, they really tried to get their best guys against Tavares. Now, obviously, there was no O'Reilly, so that that combination maybe gets insulated a little bit, but that was a combination that they tried to exploit. Mm-hmm. So that's something I'll be watching in Tampa. Mm-hmm. Tampa it seems like kind of like mentally vulnerable or something this year. Like there's something going on with Cooper, the the coach and his star players. And 
I don't know. I, I, I think if you're the Leafs, you want to like, if you can get a lead in the series, then you got to continue to try and push. It feels like so often what the Leafs, it's like they win a game, they lose a game, they win a game, they lose a game, they win a game, they lose a game, and then they lose the deciding game. Like if they can get a 2 nothing lead in the series or a 3-1 lead or something like that, I mean... I mean, other than the Montreal, yeah, remember, other than the Montreal yeah. series, but I think that that's what they need to try and really push for because I think that there's some fragility there on the other side. I just wonder, James. Like I've been wondering about Cooper. It's a long time to be in charge. Like so, he he started in 2012, years, right? 2013. Yeah, like that's a long freaking time. Like that's Randy Carlisle's coaching the Leafs at that point. Like think how long ago that is. I was down in Tampa when he first was promoted to be the lightning coach and he was living in the hotel across the street. He was in the, he was staying in the hotel where we were and I got to, I got to meet him and like have a beer with him. And it's like, that feels like a lifetime ago that like, it's just amazing what he's accomplished in that time. Because like when he first got that job, he was a guy who, you know, he, he, he had taken, like he's, he wasn't a guy that played pro hockey. So, you know, he took the road less traveled to the job that he, and he's, he's got a law degree and like, he's, he's, he's had a really interesting life. So, I think that, yeah, I mean, sometimes there's a reason why hardly any coaches have lasted 10 years. Like the list is, there's like four coaches in the last 30 years that have have coached that long on one team. Yeah. And some of the players, like it's not a lot of guys who are the same since then, but like there's a handful of guys that have been, well, not a handful, like Stamkos, Kalorn. Anyway, I think that's going to be interesting to see how this plays out with them. Like there's still a threat, obviously. They're still a really good team. Uh, all right. It's my cue to find something. The next question. Uh, Tanner says, do you think the Leafs should take a conservative approach, trying not to lose versus Tampa by playing Aston Reese and Lafferty and Shen, or should they take it to them and dress a riskier lineup with higher upside with Lilgren, Nyes, et cetera? I mean, we've talked about that a little bit, but it's interesting to kind of couch it that way. Yeah. I, I, I lean starting, I don't know if safer is the right word, but I lean starting that way just because of the option that you have bringing nice kind of in like the energy potential that you mentioned, I think is a really good point. Obviously, Lilligren started the series last year against Tampa, lasted two games, and then they took him out. Shen has tons of playoff experience. Obviously, those are literally like the only two games of playoff experience that Lilligren has, right? I wonder if Shen having played for the Lightning helps them in any way. Like, I don't, like, I wonder if there's, like, some tendencies or, like, maybe it makes sense to, I don't know. It's just interesting. Like, he's gone against those guys in practice a lot. I mean, it feels like the Leafs will have scouted them so rigorously. And obviously, they played last year that they probably know pretty much everything. But one thing, like, you like about, like, Shen that's different from what they had is, like, he's just... He makes it hard to get to the net, right? Well, like obviously bou- he has his bouncer, limitations, man. Right? Like he's a bouncer. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah, he is a bouncer. He does not let anyone come close. And like that's something that they haven't always had. Obviously, don't have with Jake Muzzin. Like the Muzzin thing is 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 a big deal. And obviously, McCabe is is the answer or the the attempt at the answer. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, Marcus wants us to do a line by line comparison. We sort of did that, but he said he'd like to know. Uh, what are the expected lines for game one and who could draw in later in the series um, that could make a difference? I mean, we've sort of talked, how do you, how do you expect based on what we've seen? I I know we we haven't seen the lines from practice uh, at the moment, but what do you expect that they're going to go with for the lines Uh, in terms of third line, you know, et cetera. So if I was, guessing today before we see what they do in practice i think it will be bunting matthews marner 
Tavares, O'Reilly, Neander, Aston Reese, Camp, Lafferty, Kerfoot, Achari, Yarncrook. And then I think on D, we'll see Riley Shen, Giordano Hall, McCabe, Brody would be yeah, my guess. I think you're right. I think that's, I mean, it seems like that's what they've been building towards doing for game one. And then, and then I, I do think like one of the big deals, I think, about the lineup that they put together and some of the trades that they made is like they're so much more flexible than they were before. Like, I remember one of the things writing last year is like, their third and fourth liners, like you just couldn't do a lot with them. Like you could only play Spezza and Simmons on the fourth line. You could only play, you know, Clifford on the fourth line. Like Pierre Engvall could only play. Well, they didn't have like a 13th or 14th forward. They were like, yeah, this guy should come in and like change. Yeah. The, like the, whereas now there's a little bit more there. Like there's a little bit more. I mean, certainly on D there's a lot of options. Well, and there's so much more center flexibility. Like Colin Blackwell is their fourth line center in the playoffs last year. He wasn't even a center. And now you think about it, it's like they might play Tavares on the wing. Like they, they'll probably play Lafferty on the wing. He can play center. Achari's a center. He can play the wing. Like there's just a lot more versatility. And like you're you're right, the D, um, I'm looking at the D from last year. It's Riley Labushkin, Muzzin Brody, Giordano Hall. And then they had Sandy and Lilgren as scratches. And obviously Sandy was hurt for part of that. But there's just, it's, it's deeper and more experience. I wonder, James, like if let's say it, it doesn't go well for Shen or Hall or someone. I, I think it would be an interesting decision for Sheldon Keefe as to who put in, who to put in. Like, I'm not sure it's automatic that it's Lilgren. I, I think there's a, a conversation that it's Gustafson, honestly. Lilgren seems to have like righted the ship a little bit. He played a lot of minutes in there, but it's, I don't know. He just had en- enough of those games where he struggled that it makes you second guess it, which is too bad because he had such a great first half of the season. Well, the downside of adding that many D is like you end up destabilizing Lilligren. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Brett wants to know if we think the Leafs should use the Leaf Report intro song as their goal song f- during the playoffs. <laughs> how, how, do you think, how do you think that would go? <laughs> I think that would go great. Um, it's going to be interesting if they score like an overtime winner in this series and like a key game and then that Hall and Oates comes cranking out. <laughs> Or Hall, I think one of them is not alive anymore, right? I was going to say they should bring Hall and Oates out to, to like, say. I, I don't know the... I think Daryl Hall might not be alive. Or is he the one who's alive? I don't know, uh, the, I don't know the status of the... He is alive. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry, Daryl Hall. This, Maybe this, it's John Oates who's not alive. I this, don't know. This, this, I like this. This is like Jonas Googling if people are alive on Wikipedia while we're is recording the alive? show. That should be He's alive. They're both alive. <laughs> Our producer is frantically mess texting us right now saying, they're all alive. <laughs> Stop it, Jonas. They're alive. Don't kill them. Fuck. No, they should not, bring them back. I mean, I don't like the goal song, but I think killing them would be a bit extreme, Jonas. Yeah. Uh, Curtis wants to know what will be more important in determining the outcome of the series, the Leafs power play or the Leafs penalty kill? Pick one or the other. I mean, the power play has been such a... I mean, the penalty kill hasn't been good either, right? Like, if you look at their penalty no. kill results in the playoffs the last few years, it's... I think both have been... Both special teams have been worse in the playoffs yes. in general than they were during the regular season. So, um, if you're picking one, I think you're probably picking the power play. Yeah, just because it sucked so many times in key games. Like, it's just... It's almost like there's and something that, like, in the players. Sp- yeah. 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 There's something in their head or something like they just got need to get past that and have the uh, have the power play be a difference maker for them. 
Adriano wants to know, why does Riley struggle when playing with anyone but Brody as his partner? I mean, I think this year has proven how good Brody is and how important he is because he's playing with literally anybody and he's, it's, it's still so funny. And we've probably said this before on the show, but I remember when they got him from Calgary and like you heard people in Calgary being like, uh, he's okay. You know, he makes some risky decisions and then like you watch him and it's like, he does like, I know. I don't where, like, remember we did that big profile of him and we talked to everybody about him and like, we talked to like his childhood friends and his coaches and it was cool like calling the people from his i forget the name of his hometown calling calling the people from you know where he grew up and whatever and it's like this guy seems like amazing like he seems like a great person and um you know and then and then he plays and it's like wow like he is super underrated it's like he got like overshadowed by giordano all those years how good he was well, remember, that was the narrative that the only reason that yes. pair was really good is because Giordano is good. And remember, we talked to Giordano for that story, and he said and that's like, bullshit. No. Like, anyone yeah. who thinks that is like, I guess well, they just didn't appreciate the subtleties of his game, or maybe like he, I think he's probably gotten better. He says he's gotten better from then, but his game is so subtle and he doesn't get a lot of points. And like, if you're not paying super close attention, I don't know, maybe you're missing it. But like, the, the, the stuff about the mistakes, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? No, I, yeah, I don't, I can't even like, like, it's very rare that like he makes a bad pass or like, I don't know. And maybe he has cut some of that out of his game. I don't know. But like, he's just, he's been fantastic. I mean, he's been, we were, you were asking me who the five MVPs or MV, you know, top players of yeah. the Leafs this season. And he's, he was in my top five. No question. He's been their best defenseman. The only I mean, reason he didn't make my top five is he hasn't played enough games. Like, he's, he hasn't even played 60 games. I know in Calgary he would play, like, 28, 29 minutes sometimes. Like, I mean, I know he's older than he was those years in, in the... I wonder if, like, they just go, like, really heavy on the minutes for him. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely right. And I think one of the things that... that I think it's, it's a fair um, statement about Riley, and I've written about it, I think one of the things that we have seen from him is he he's played well in the playoffs. Like that's not been an issue. Like there there are not a lot of guys that you look at over the years and you say that that guy was great in the playoffs year after year. He's been pretty good. We'll see if that continues. Obviously, we'll see what his minutes look like in the playoffs. Let's. <laughs> Philip's question is: Does Frank Corrado like cheese pizza? There, there's a deep cut. I like that people are. Uh, that's a that's a reference to me talking about how much I hate cheese pizza. We what haven't a, talked about we, yeah. we, we haven't talked about that in a while, but um, I like it's a tough people, take by you. I like that people are paying attention. I just I can't. I don't know. Maybe it's just I don't. I just find. Have you ever had like a good New York style kind of cheese pizza? That's what you need to have. Like if you're just getting like a random run of the mill. Yeah. One time I'm gonna bring in a really good cheese pizza over to your house, and I'll see if I can turn you. Here, someone's got a pun for us. Do you want to hear a pun? Sure. Next time Achari scores a game-winning or empty net goal, you should tweet something like, Noel, just put Achari on top of this dominant Leaf performance. That's pretty good. It's very Myrtle-like. <laughs> that's, that's, I like that one. Uh, Roland wants to know, are we going to see Matt Murray at all? I don't even know if I would want him as the backup right now. <sighs> That's a good question. What would you do if if he if you had the choice? Let's say he is healthy. I don't yeah. know. Like he hasn't played in weeks. He's coming off a head he injury. Play, he was concussion. bad too. Like he was struggling. He was and he wasn't. Like he, he had a couple of starts his last there minutes where, as a leaf. Like I don't think he's gonna be back next year. 
in a season where a lot of things went right and they made a lot of good decisions, like their trade deadline was really good and like they, they did a lot of things really well and they navigated some difficult situations well, like the Murray acquisition is going to stand out as the big bogey, like the big mistake that they made. Right now, I, I think the only thing I'd say is like if you go back to his Pittsburgh years, he had a lot of like these kind of situations. Like remember he got hurt. I think it was like game one. Remember Jeff Zakov? I think wow. is that the right game? You still you believe you still think Murray could come back and like I just think there's something? a world where he, yeah, I think there's a world where he comes back. Obviously if they don't win around, I think it's it's unlikely. But I I'm wouldn't close the door just yet. I, I don't know. I've seen too many things. I feel like I would play wall over him right now to be honest. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, a guy coming off potentially a concussion who hasn't played in weeks, who hasn't played especially well. I don't know. I mean, his playoff history is what it is, but I don't know how much that matters at this point. William says, I don't have a question, but as a fan, I want to say I find the hard cap absolutely exhausting and it takes away from the sport. Agreed. Uh, did we talk enough about the amateur goalie stuff of the last? I mean, that's that's obviously what the reference is to. Do, do you think we like... Should we? Well, we did not address it on this show. Okay, I was because like we did a show Monday, it? but I think we just—I don't know. I just you and I have talked a lot about it. Like, it's kind of the point Too where you're like I'm done talking about this because it's been going <laughs> yes. on for like. When did it first? I mean, the thing that that intrigued me about that story and when it became a real story, like when they did it the first time or whatever, it's like well, we've seen it before. Who cares? Um, but when the league denied them recalling a goalie. That's when it got interesting for me because that very, very rarely happens that you get denied an emergency recall. And I think what I would say is that the Leafs knew that that was a possibility when they did that. They it did not catch them by surprise. They were very clearly trying to push the envelope with what they could do. And um, the league stepped in and said, nah. And then when the Leafs were prepared to play one of the amateur goalies, one of the junior goalies against the Lightning, it seems like the league relented. Although, I mean, the Samsonov injury thing is a bit unclear with how that co- comes into play, but it's a very, very interesting sequence of events. And it, it just shows like the the Leafs of... And the other thing too, I would say is that I don't think the league was very happy about it. And there are other teams around the league that I heard from that aren't happy about it. So I don't know if there's going to be like... I don't know. It's something. It's something to keep in mind because... There's no cap during the playoffs, so it's not going to impact them until next season. But you get on the bad side of of the league and some other teams, like it could be, I don't know, maybe they'll come down harder on them next time. I think they pushed too much. I think they went too far. And I think they caught up to them. I think the only thing I would say, though, it feels like if you're going to basically make LTR unavailable at the end of the season, that you need to have some sort of seven-day injured situation like what are you supposed to do if your goalie gets hurt well that was the piece that i wrote six games left like it's stupid and i and i asked some other executives around the league like why can't you use ltir the last nine games of the season and it's like no one really had a great answer for like i I don't see what the exploit is that a team's gonna make if you change that so i I guess because the guy can't miss the required amount of time but like i don't know who cares like so he has to sit out the rest of the regular season i don't know the Leafs were trying to like push their cap situation as far as they could and still do what they wanted to do. Like, you know, it's like when they signed Yarncroc in the offseason, right? Like, they're like, we don't have enough cap space to actually. Keith basically said that we didn't have enough. When we signed him, we knew that we were going to run into problems because we didn't have enough cap space to actually do it. Yeah. Um, they, so 
what they were trying to do at the deadline was like bring in as much as they could and push it as far as they could. But how are they supposed to anticipate that Murray's going to get hurt? Like, I don't know. Like the, the, only- the counter is like when you when you are that tight and you decide to acquire nine, like have nine defensemen on your roster, like you are one injury away from being in trouble. Yeah. No. We, um, no, I know, but I don't know. I like you kind of respect that they're trying to push it as much as they absolutely could. But if it was any injury to any other player, they would have been okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the nine defenseman is kind of. I mean, the Timmins. The fact they didn't have anyone on the roster that could go on waivers is like it's. I've never really seen a situation like what they ran into. Like it's, they actually like some people were saying like, oh, you could just like just send someone down. It's like they actually couldn't. They didn't have anyone who was eligible to be sent down. Yeah. All right. Uh, Greg's wondering, do you think the lineups will be different for road and home games? You sort of addressed that. I th- I think yeah, that, I think it's possible probably, for sure. I think that makes sense. I just think because you can kind of insulate guys when you're at home, that maybe it differs when you're on the road and you want to protect certain people. Mm, Mitch wants to know, do you think Samsonov is capable of playing every other night for 28 straight games? That's four seven-game series. That's going to be a long run. He is like built physically to kind of handle that right like he's 6-3 whatever he is he's like a big dude he just has never done it really right so you don't know so that's an interesting question because you know i think there's going to be teams that that use their backup on the way to playoff success this year i'm dubious of that i don't think that that's true like do you really think they're gonna boston's gonna rotate allmark and swayman i don't buy that Mm, that's what they're saying right yeah, we'll see what they actually do. To, like that—that's never been done. That you rotate goalies. That I've seen. Have you seen that? A winning team like that goes all the way. I don't know. I guess like you could point to Murray and Flurry, but that was like a lot of that was injuries and performance. I guess. Let's see here. Do we want one more? I'm trying to sure. find one more. All right, I'll go with an off-season one just for. It's interesting. Interesting questions this time. Uh, Liz wants to know, based on what we've seen this season, would you rather sign O'Reilly or Bunting if you can only keep one? I think it just depends on the price and the term and everything like well, that, I doesn't it? It's probably going to be pretty similar. The cap hit's going to be similar. I think the term would be more for Bunting. That's where I think it's going to land. If it's only one, it's probably O'Reilly. I mean, the only thing is like he's older. He's yep. 32. He's starting to get to that point where... You start to get hurt a little bit more. I just like the way he plays, though. I just like, I don't, yeah. I mean, the age is really the only downside there. Yeah, Bunting's next contract will be fascinating because he still statistically had a really good year. It just didn't go as well. Someone's going to, I don't, I just, I don't think he's coming back. I mean, unless he's going to take a real haircut to stay. But it's one of those situations where he's going to get like a crazy amount of money somewhere else. If he has like a great playoffs, it's going to be hard not to bring him back. But like you never know. So he finishes with 23 goals, 49 points, plays all 82. And you look at the free agent class this year and it's like one of the worst ones I've ever seen. So there's just not like if you're a team that needs scoring help, you're going to be like, you know, there's just not a lot of options there. Yeah. All right. I think that's it. Thanks everyone for all the questions. Sorry about the ones we didn't get to. There's... There's some that I need to read a little bit more in depth to understand what they're, <laughs> what they're trying. You know, sometimes, sometimes they're not always conducive to the, uh, the medium of the podcast, but we appreciate it. We read every question and uh, we think about every question and um, appreciate all the support. 
Yeah, thank you to everyone. And so game one, Tuesday. So that should be uh, interesting, James. We'll be looking forward to that. Thank you to Frankie Corrado for stopping by. Go to theathletic.com slash leave for it and sign up if you haven't already. There's going to be an insane amount of playoff stuff. So get your playoff fill, right, James? Is the uh, is the schedule out, Jonas? Have you seen it for the whole series? Just the first two games as oh, yeah. of the time That's we record right. this. Okay. Yeah, I'm seeing the schedule for the yeah, the first two games is out there. Yeah. For the for every series. I don't recall that ever being the case. I don't remember ever just one and two being released. I think there's like some building availability and stuff like that playing into it right now. Well, and there's there's as of this recording, there's two more games left tonight. Actually, there's more than that. There's games. No, I guess just no. There's only two. There's only two NHL games left. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. All right, James. We will chat next week. Thank you to everyone for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.